Hello everyone. I am your host, Crystal Storm. Tonight, I invite you to have an open discussion with me about why we as a society have stopped reaching for that ideal of utopia. What does utopia mean for you? When we think about things getting better for us here in America, what does that vision look like? The basis for our conversation will center around the book Utopia for Realists by Rutger Bregman. Are we ready to embrace ideas such as universal basic income, 15-hour work weeks, and open borders? And if not, why not? What's holding us back? Let's find out. Ready? Take a peek inside Crystal's Imagination. Automatic scene switching is the best thing ever. If you're listening to this via podcast, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But if you're watching on Twitch, you're going to know. It's just like automatic thing. It's fantastic. Uh, two seconds, everybody. I tweet, therefore I am. And the minute that I have in the intro is just never, it's never enough time. Welcome on in, everyone. I am super excited that you are here joining us tonight. Whether you are listening on YouTube, you're live with us, you're listening to us on a podcast of choice. Uh, I think we're going to have a really great discussion this evening. Uh, it is, therefore I've tweeted, I have tweeted, therefore I am. It is an open discussion, uh, so I invite anyone who is in my Discord, uh, who knows me, you are free to join in on this discussion if you can't get into um, the particular uh, chat where I am, just let me know and I'll drag you guys in here. Um, but I want to hear, would love to hear people's feedback on these topics. I think that this is something that needs to be talked about a lot more. And I know that there are a lot of things that we need to talk about more. So we're discussing tonight this book, Utopia for Realists, Realists, excuse me, Utopia for Realists by Rutger, 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 am I saying his name? I hope so. Uh, Rutger Brigman. Um, it is a phenomenal book. I finished it this morning. It made me angry. It made me hopeful. It set my ideas ablaze and spinning and all that kind of good stuff. And I learned things that I didn't know. Some amazing things, actually, that I had, uh, that I had no idea about. None. None whatsoever. Um, so we're going to get into that. I think first, a little... A little, a little preference, because a lot of times when you talk about ideas that we're going to be that are presented in this book, like a universal basic income, um, fifteen-hour work week, he even goes into makes a, a pretty strong case, I think, for open borders. Um, you think you're, you know, you almost think that we're we're talking to like, we still haven't moved into a place where we're not like it's hippie talk. You know, like, oh, it's a beautiful idea, but that's what we get a lot. It's a beautiful idea, but, and I think we need to erase the but. I am someone who doesn't like hearing the word can't. I'll just be real with y'all. I think that's the dumbest word in the English language. Um, but I'm also someone, uh, you know, I can't do this or I can't do that. Uh, but I am also someone, allergies are bitch this year, y'all. But I'm also someone who suffers from, you know, anxiety and depression and this, that, and the other. And in my 20s, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun in my 20s. I had a lot of fun in my 20s. It was a journey of self-discovery. And I feel like everything you're supposed to fucking do in your 30s, in your 20s. In my 30s, the fun stopped, LOL. And 
in the later part of my 30 years, I kind of lost myself. And I, especially towards, uh, you know, 37, 38, 39, I found that I got a little cynical where, you know, I had all this optimism and, and my spirituality was just like blooming and this, that, and the other, that all kind of slowly just died. It's like you peaked and then I was just like, oh, the world is shit. Uh, one of the reasons that I came back to do this podcast is because I wanted to reignite my sense of wonder in the world, my sense of hope, the fact that I used to believe so much in humanity and our ability to change and grow. And, you know, sometimes quote unquote, and I quote unquote reality can take that hope and squish it like you have ADD and someone squished your butterfly and ADD people will know what I'm talking about because I got a lot of friends with ADD. Um, but at the, so at the same time, reading this book was like a breath of fresh air and my inner skeptic, my inner critic wasn't loud while I read this book as much as it was, what the fuck, why aren't we doing these things? And I think that's where we have to move these discussions towards is what the fuck, why aren't we doing these things? Because every reason that people have given, especially for UBI, are just fucking wrong. Are 1000% just fucking wrong. And I am so tired of people regurgitating talking points from the political party that they belong to. Or just... You don't know what you don't know. But we now live in an age where you can learn very easily via Google search. Beyond that, I think we have to be, especially those of us who identify on the left as progressive or liberal, this, that, and the other. I think we, and he talks about this in the book, and I'm going to read some quotes of his. It is really up to us to take these ridiculous notions and really, really push them. And I'm someone who doesn't, I mean, even in my 20s where I was all like hopeful, hippy-dippy, like, you know, smoke a pot 24-7, I miss pot so much. Um, I was never, did not have a lot of faith in government. I still don't. Even my cynicism in that is just, but I do believe in people power. And I have always believed in people power and the power of local communities and small groups of people being able to affect radical change. And I saw so, read about so many examples of that in this book. So let's let's kind of dive into it um, a little bit. I uh, highly recommend you guys read this. Even if you're just curious about these topics, you know, like you're a fucking boomer and you're just like, no, I've been working 90 hours a week since I was 15 to support my family. No way on this free income shit read this book like just just get it just audiobook it just just read it because i feel like if you are open to it and cognitive dissonance is a thing and if you don't know what i mean when i say cognitive dissonance that's something else you should absolutely google because we are literally all of us are guilty of it um just read the book give give give, give the book a little get a book a little what I know this was a good book, by the way, because I apologize for people who don't like it when you dog ear. I dog eared the shit. I, was, I had to. There was just too much. I dog eared the shit out of it. Uh, I highlighted the shit out of this book. There's just there's just so much. Um, so first passage I wanted to share with you from the book that really kind of struck me really hard was uh, 
Rutger writes that the real crisis of our times, of my generation, is not that we don't have it good, or even that we might be worse off later on. The real crisis is that we can't come up with anything better. The first few chapters of the book, not the first few chapters, the first few pages of the book, he discusses about how, if you think about where we were as to where we are now, I mean, even with us, like, recovering from, like, COVID and the craziness, like, the political divide that's going on in this country, like, overall, we're healthier, we're smarter, we look better, you know, we've got it better than we did, you know, way back in the day. So we don't have, like, too much to complain about, but at the same time, we still can't imagine anything better. And really think about that, because I know that it is so easy for us to come up with a list of everything you don't want. You know, we don't want racism. We don't want, you know, homophobia. We want, you know, we do want diversity, but we don't want, you know, no diversity. But when you think about what you actually want as a person, like individually, and then about the society that you want to live in, can you see it? Can you actually envision it? If I told you to take 10 minutes and write down right now, what you as an individual want, would that list just be full of your don't wants? Do you know? That's the question, right? Do you like, if you take away the borders and the boxes that we put ourselves in and really think about that, do you know what you want personally? And do you know what you want for the society that you live in? Do you know? Have you ever held that vision? It's a fair question. It's a really fair question. And that is, I think, really one of the more depressing things that I see right now, especially when we talk about, let's look at our politics today, for example. We were, those of us who were, even sometimes with the on the right, but let's just say we were obsessed with getting rid of Trump, right? We had to fucking do it because he was the worst fucking thing ever. Not gonna lie, he fucking sucked. I have never voted in a presidential election in my entire life. I voted in the last one, not because I believed in Joe Biden, but because a message needed to be sent that what Trump represented in my eyes would not be allowed. That that was 1000% not the society that I wanted to live in. What he was, the, the words that came out, it just wasn't, it just wasn't. So we were so focused on that, right? Had to be. We had that. That's all we were talking about for four fucking years. We had to do whatever it took. It did not matter if the person up on that stage couldn't beat Trump. We didn't fucking want him. And there were all these lessons because of the Supreme Court or this, that, and the other. Good lessons, right? But that's all, that's all the fucking, that tunnel vision, right? That's all it was. Now we've done it, right? Mission accomplished. What's the vision? We just worried about beating back Republicans because the rhetoric that started in the Trump era is still there. Is that all we are? And it seems like it. There are there are no there's no great ideas. Like even our technology, we're just regurgitating like the same things. Like you get a new fucking iPhone, and it's literally the same iPhone. It's just a little flashier. Maybe it's thinner. Maybe your apps load faster. Maybe the fucking camera has better pixels. What is our fucking vision? I'm going to skip to the back of the book uh, because in the end, when he talks about the power of ideas, he says some things that I think are really um, 
powerful and thought-provoking and worth us taking a second to kind of let them sit in our brains. The question is not can new ideas defeat old ones. The question is how. Research suggests that sudden shocks can work wonders. A political scientist at the University of Illinois discovered that people are more most likely to change their opinions if you confront them with new and disagreeable facts as directly as possible. He gives an example. Not a great one, but it's a true one. Take the recent success of right-wing politicians who were already warning of the Islamic threat back in the 90s, but didn't get much attention until September 11th. And then viewpoints that had once been fringe suddenly became a collective obsession. We know how that turned out. Now, if it's true that ideas don't that if ideas don't change things gradually, but in fits and starts, in shocks, then the basic premise of our democracy, our journalism, and our education is all wrong. It would mean, in essence, that the Enlightenment model of how people change their opinions through information gathering and reason deliberation is really a buttress for the status quo. It would mean that those who swear by rationality, nuance, and compromise fail to grasp how ideas govern the world. A worldview is not a Lego set where a block is added here, removed there. It's a fortress that is defended tooth and nail with all possible reinforcements until the pressure becomes so overpowering that the walls cave in. Now think about that for a second. And think about the echo chambers that we sit in especially right now, because we've got that moral high ground. But are we really changing everything? Because all we're doing right now is just trying to get back to normal. Whatever the fuck that means. He goes on. And this is just a reminder. That a single opposing voice can make all the difference. When just one other person in the group stuck to the truth, test subjects were more likely to trust the evidence of their own senses. Let this be an encouragement to all those who feel like a lone voice crying out in the wilderness. Keep on building your castles in the sky. Your time will come. Which I thought was, I like that little bit of positivity. Keep going for a second. For years. Intellectuals, journalists, and politicians had all firmly maintained that we've reached the end of the age of big narratives, and that it was time to trade in ideology, ideologies for pragmatism. Now, naturally, we should still take pride in the liberty that generations before us fought and won. But the question is, what's the value of free speech when we no longer have anything worthwhile to say? Good point. Pretty, pretty good, pretty good fucking point. Um, so let's ponder that, right? There are so many good ideas out there that aren't taken seriously. Why? Joseph Overton, an American lawyer who first explained the, me the mechanisms of uppercase politics in the 1990s, and that's literally just politics spelled with a capital P. And he began with a simple question. Why is it that so many good ideas don't get taken seriously? Historically, politics was the persevere of the left, right? 
Be realistic. The man, the impossible. That was the rallying cry of the Paris demonstrators in 1968. The end of slavery, the emancipation of women, the rise of the welfare state. All these were progressive ideas that started out as crazy and irrational, but were ultimately accepted as basic common sense. That's where we were. And now here we are. Almost done with the reading. Little, one more section I want to share. Given everything that people were against, and I just talked about this, one's left to wonder, what are the underdog socialists, progressives, lefts, what do you stand for? So time and again, they sign with society's unfortunates, poor people, dropouts, asylum seekers, the disabled, the discrimination against. They decry Islamophobia, homophobia, racism. They obsess over the proliferation of rifts, dividing the world into blue collar and right collar, poverty and wealth, ordinary people and the one percenters, and they vainly seek to reconnect with the constitution that has long since packed its bags. But the underdog socialist's biggest problem isn't that they're wrong. The biggest problem is that they're dull. Dull as a doorknob. They've got no story to tell, no any language to convey it in. Donald Trump sucked. Absolutely sucked. Sucked. But one thing Trump understood very well is that most people prefer to be on the winning side. We're going to win so much. You're going to get tired of winning. You can hear it in his fucking voice. It's like I have trauma. Most people resent the pity and the paternalism of the good, Samar of the good Samaritan. Sadly, the underdog socialist has forgotten that the story of the left ought to be a narrative of hope and progress. What we need is a narrative that speaks to millions of ordinary people and it starts with reclaiming the language of progress. I'm skipping ahead to highlighted sections. The underdog socialists will have to stop wallowing in their moral superiority and outdated ideas. Everyone who reckons themselves progressive should be a beacon of not just energy, but ideas, not only indignation, but hope and equal parts, ethics and hard sell. Ultimately, what the underdog socialist lacks is the most vital ingredient for political change. The conviction that there truly is a better way, that utopia really is within reach. If that's not a wonderful rallying cry for things that we have to do, uh, I don't know what is. I don't. I don't know what else is. Um, I spend way too much fucking time, way too much fucking time on Twitter. That's for certain. But I, what I see on Twitter a lot, and I know that it's not indicative of the real fucking world, but the discussions that I see on Twitter is there are so many good ideas out there, but we are so angry rightly so god rightly so that we forget how to speak to people we forget how to speak to people in a language that can actually reach them and i'm not saying that you have to reach across the aisle i'm not saying that we have to forgive and forget i'm not saying any of that but i am saying that if we want to build something better we have to know how to put our energy into that instead of screaming so much about everything that we fucking hate. Because that's all that it seems to be right now, is how much we hate this and how much we can't have that and fuck this and fuck that. And I get it. We have 
a million fucking things to be angry about. But we have to talk about what we're excited about. And we have to talk about these ideas in the framework of the possibilities that they would create instead of the framework of, well, Republicans hate this, so obviously it's a good fucking idea. You don't reach nobody that way. You don't, we're not going to fucking reach nobody that way. And if the idea is to become better, to live in this better place, then we just have to be aware of how we're speaking about the ideas that we are so passionate about. And I'm not saying the anger isn't called for. I'm not saying there's not a place for it. I'm not saying you don't need to block a motherfucker or tell some motherfucker that he's a motherfucker and he's stupid. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is that we need more of what we're excited about, why we're excited about it, and a language that can actually reach people because right now we are just settled in mediocrity. That's where we are. That's where, that's where, in any other fucking election, Joe Biden wouldn't have won. Wouldn't have won. Wouldn't have won. Wouldn't have won. But we were so fucking starved for some goddamn quote unquote normalcy that we're, we're cool with the status quo. But my problem is now that we've got it back and we're slowly getting it back, we're just going to stay there because we can't think of anything better. And that's just a goddamn lie. Let's talk about universal basic income. Let's talk about this idea of just giving motherfuckers money. Do it. Do it. Do it. Okay, let's talk about studies. People probably didn't know this. I didn't know this. If you did know this, that's awesome. You're a history geek. I wish somebody had told me sooner. Richard fucking Nixon almost was the first president to enact the most progressive policy in history by introducing a universal basic income bill. He was going to do it. He was absolutely going to do it. He had it drawn up. He had it presented to the House of Representatives. It stalled, of course, in the Senate. Uh, blocked by Democrats because apparently it wasn't enough. I'm not even, I'm going to even get that. But let's talk about the benefits of UBI. People think, and this is like the running narrative, this is literally the running narrative, that if you give people money, they will just be lazy. They will be lazy. They will not do a motherfucking thing. Back in the day, the arguments of get UBI, and this conversation has happened for so long. Hey, 420. Hey, Shelly. Uh, we're talking about universal basic income. I invite you guys' as thoughts. You're welcome to jump into the conversation verbally as well. The uh, Discord's open. Uh, arguments back in the day as well were all about the same thing. Uh, people will be fucking immoral. Motherfuckers will just get married and have too many babies, and we can't have them having babies. Like, all these fear-mongering things. Every single one of them are proven wrong. All wrong. They're all wrong. Different places where there has been UBI programs. Utah. Utah had a... I didn't even know this right here in the country. In Utah, there was an insanely successful UBI program in Utah that was getting rid of homelessness and eradicating poverty. And then it just stopped because they stopped funding it. Even though... Study after study after study after study has shown that it is more expensive. Dio would also like everyone to know, Dio the dog, with his current squeaky right now, that he also agrees with universal basic income. Yes. 
Um, <laughs> Dio, Dio, also weird reason. Even though study after study has shown, we have a serious discussion, and Dio's playing with the squeaky. That's how it rolls in this house. Deal with it. <laughs> that has shown that it is more expensive to leave a homeless person on the street than it would be if you just gave them money. Let that sink in. You're, you're like, you're like, nah, that's bullshit, right? It's like, no, it's not. It's not bullshit. It's not bullshit. And it wasn't just one study. So Utah, London, in Canada, in Brazil, in India, in Mexico, in South America, and not just in this century. Go, you can go back, 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 back and trace this. UBI programs have come into existence, been successful, and then for whatever reason, because someone in politics believes the stupid narrative of, no, this is a lie, or this isn't really good, or we should just stop funding it because whatever, insert dumbass reason, even though the evidence staring them right in the face says otherwise. It's crazy. So Richard Nixon even had an advisor, by the way, who was just adamant against UBI. He was just like, nah. He was like, nah, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. So he sent Nixon this whole like seven page report about a UBI program that had happened in Spinham, Spinham, England. I'm probably saying it wrong. Um, that had apparently failed, right? Big warning label. So Nixon's like, yo, what the fuck is this? Has all his advisors tried to research? Like, why did it fail in England? Like, I can't be putting this out there. And then what he did was, and this is one of the reasons why it stalled in the Senate, was because of this report that his advisor gave him, and we'll get to the, but because of this report, he started framing UBI in a very Republican way. So then you heard more of, okay, uh, sure, you can have this money, but you still need to work or sure you can have this money, but you know, women still need to have babies and y'all need to still stay married. You know, all of a sudden free money came with conditions. So it wasn't free. Dio has a shoe, babe. Dio, the dog has decided that now that I'm talking, he's going to get in trouble. Uh, so that's how it was framed. And that's one of the reasons five. So he started with this amazing progressive policy and then read this report and then changed his rhetoric around it. He was still trying to push it, but then all of a sudden it's like free money, but free money that makes you feel bad. Kind of like the current welfare state that makes you feel like you're a burden and you suck just because you're on welfare. Like it was like that. Hilariously. When people, when scientists, statistics, you know, all those smart people that love running numbers and control groups and theories and all that shit came in and actually looked at what happened in this town in England, they found that it wasn't true. The, the, the experiment of UBI in this town actually had been a raging fucking success. Right, 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 right. People had, like... <laughs> The bureaucracy in England hated this so much that they falsified data, that then when they had surveys about whether or not it would work, they didn't even talk to the working class people. They talked to business owners who were just pissed for no fucking reason. Like it was just, it was just rife with corruption. And that's the report that Nixon got. So he changed his whole fucking rhetoric around this about a report that wasn't fucking true. About a town that had a UBI program that was actually successful. It happened again. I believe it was in Canada's program, 
Might have been, no, it might have been one in the U.S. Where they had a UBI program and they stopped because they thought the divorce rates had gone down. That was a reason not to give people free money because then women might leave their husbands. That's, that's the reason. That's the reason not to give people free money. Divorce. If you're on the podcast, you can't see my face, but I have a disgusted face on. Divorce. That's the reason. That's the reason for no, for no free money. You might get divorced. That was also a lie. It did not increase divorce. Somebody had done their fucking math wrong. So when they went back and checked the numbers, they realized that the reason that they ended that UBI program as well was stupid because nobody got divorced. It didn't. So you might think that giving people free money is bad because then people won't work. Not true. People want to work. People want the freedom to do the things that they want to do. Why is this a bad thing? We as a society have run out of really amazing ideas and it's because all the kids that are in school are rushing towards jobs that pay money, big bucks, they're making hedge funds instead of that nerd in class who is dreaming about the colony he's going to build on Mars. We're not thinking like that anymore. All we've got is Elon Musk. God fucking help us. But those big ideas, those dreams were not, I mean, when was the, new, when was the last time you saw like an amazing piece of art? Like an amazing fucking piece of art. Like fucking amazing. Right? Think about it, right? So, <laughs> oh, y'all, I can't. I just get, I just get angry thinking about it because to kind of piggyback off that, we're gonna combine some concepts together. He also talks in the book about one of the reasons why we need a fifteen-hour work week. Henry Ford, amazingly, Henry Ford was one of the uh, first people in the industrial era that was like, you know what? Five hours. I only want y'all here for like six hours. That's it. And then y'all got to get the fuck out. Productivity went nuts. Went fucking nuts. And one of the reasons he was like, I want the people who work at my factory to be able to ride around in my fucking car. It was like pure ego. So he's like, yo, let's try it. Worked. People who work less are more productive. Study after study after study after study after study. I'm gonna do it again. After study have also shown this. And back in the day, all the beautiful brainiac thinkers of their time really thought that by the time we hit 2020, 2030, that work hours would go down, that we were headed in that direction. But what happened is right around the 1980s, consumerism apparently got out of control. So we got to work more for the things that we want. Do you see that? Do you see like the, the loop, like the, the circle of bullshit that we currently find ourselves in? Like, do you see it? Like we're consuming so much, so we have to work for it, so we can't have that and you can't pay us anymore because it's just too expensive to do it. And all these fucking things are a lie. They are literally all a goddamn lie. I guess. 
new idea for a movie or a TV series? I mean, it should be. It, you would be right on the money for that one, Shelly, because that would be it would be an excellent idea for some of the 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 history of the things that he talks about in this book to be put on TV so people can actually see it. In the 1970s, the minimum wage started to stagnate because companies found out they could get away with not raising the wage and get the same, if not more, work out of their employees. And hilariously, that is costing them more money. That is costing them more money to do it that way than if they would simply reduce hours. And another reason why companies nowadays find it more expensive to pay one person overtime is because benefits are attached to employees, not the number of hours worked. So you could take two people part-time, pay them a living wage, and get the same amount of productivity out of them, if not better, but companies won't do that because of the way systems are set up. And the way systems are set up are fucking stupid. We need our time back. We need great thinkers and people who have big ideas and imaginations who are sitting in classrooms thinking, fuck, I can't do this wonderful idea I have because I have to make money in this bullshit, stagnant, doesn't even need to exist fucking job. Although, that, that they just get, they stuck there. And so we don't get any good new ideas. And so we are stuck with the mediocrity that we have today. Let's talk about artificial intelligence. Let's talk about that for a second. I am... And this is one of the biggest problems that I have with fucking current level moderate Democrats. One of the biggest fucking problems. Up until the late 70s, blue collar workers made enough to buy homes and rid a first person family. That They did. They did. That was back in the day. Bill Clinton and Reagan had a lot to do with that, by the way. He talks about that a little bit in the book. Bill Clinton's war on the welfare state and the bullshit of Reaganomics just right in the fucking garbage. I'm all for a living minimum wage. That should be a thousand percent clear. Pay people. Fucking pay people money. Pay people their goddamn money. And we also need to just give people money, but let's just let's just talk about giving people a fair wage. Let's just let's just start there. I watched and I, I try really hard not to get in my own echo chamber because I swear you get, I, I watched, I, I watched myself do it too, especially I was on social media way too fucking much in the lead up to the fucking election. And at some point you do what everybody does. Like if somebody just has an opposing view for you, you just stop listening to them. You just immediately, like you don't even register it. But I, I actually watched this video from some Republican fucking congressman. I think he's from fucking, I don't even fucking know. He's a total tool. But I was listening to it. I wanted to hear what he had to say in response to why you shouldn't give people $15 an hour. And his argument was, among some other bullshit, but his argument was that basically companies won't fucking do it. And he's not wrong. So if you are making $13, $14 an hour already, and you impose a $15 you know, minimum on work, then for a company to bump you up, not a big hit on their bottom line. McDonald's, who is paying someone $7 an hour to bump that employee up to 15, regardless of whether or not I think that they should do it, I think they should, are they? When they could replace that worker with a kiosk, what are they going to do? 
they're going to replace that worker with a fucking kiosk. So I was having a conversation with a couple of my Democratic friends. I was like, you look, I'm like, I'm all on board with this fucking 15, you know, minimum wage bill. Like, yo, let's fucking do it. But I'm like, what's, what's the backup plan? Like, this is supposed to help the most, like the people who are in poverty, right? The, the single mom who's working at McDonald's and then she goes to work at fucking Target. Like, this is what she, this is who she, like, this is who this bill is supposed to fucking help, right? Well, what happens if McDonald's lays her off or her job lays her off because now it's more cost effective to put some sort of AI in there. Like, what's the response? One person told me, don't use the kiosk. I was like, okay, I hear what you're saying. One, your ass is gonna use that kiosk. Two, that doesn't help that mom. It doesn't. There's no backup plan for this idea. It absolutely should be implemented, but without UBI to go with it, those people are just going to get laid off. Target raised their minimum hourly to 15 and then cut people's hours in response to it. So sure, now you're making $15 an hour, but you're working less. I got the disgusted face on again. I got, I got the disgusted face on again. This is my problem with how politics frames things sometimes. AI is here. AI is here, y'all. I was just on my fucking phone earlier on Instagram and I saw an ad and it was, it, the ad was uh, to, uh, if I wanted an AI to help me copyright. In the publishing industry, I've been watching it hardcore because, I mean, we've got to, because I need to know that if, you know, somebody downloads one of my books and a Google AI reads it to them, like, does that count as an audiobook? Am I getting a kickback for that? Like, what's the deal? Like, it's a whole new fucking world. Like, AI is here. AI is here. And the statistic he put in this book, I'm approximating, but there are about 50% of American jobs that are going to go boop because of AI. And this has happened before, right? They, we don't have to sound like a huge alarm. Like, it happened before, like, with farming and agriculture and stuff like that, where machines come in and they take the jobs or whatever. And it's supposed to spiral into new jobs. And that might be the case, or it might not. Either way, if you want to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which I absolutely think you can do, why would you not also give everybody no strings attached universal basic income? Pick a number, give it to every fucking family in America because every fucking study has shown that it only leads to better things, better parenting, more time to do the job and the work that you want, money that is then dumped back into the economy. There is no argument against UBI that is legit. They're just, a comp somebody, what's the argument? Lazy people. So what? So fucking what? How are we going to pay for it? Believe that when this government needs to spend money on something, we can figure that the fuck out. Believe it. There are many military bases we don't need. We have 170. Calm down. Calm down. We can still be safe and the ultimate media, the ultimate military power and blah, 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 without 170 fucking million bases. We don't need another 25 million fucking plane. Calm down. Or maybe we could just tax the 1%. I don't know. I mean, shit, does Jeff, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, get at Jeff Bezos, but you know, 
maybe him and Trump should be paying more than like $750 in taxes. Let me just... I'm just throwing it out there that maybe, maybe, you know, you could tax wealthy people a little bit and pay for these programs that ultimately save cities money. I'm just going to throw it out there. Right. See? See? Banner knows. You cut out one series of just playing this stuff. And it's, they're costing people money. Other arguments that poor people make shitty decisions, right? If you get, there was a study, there was study and done in London. They were trying to eradicate homelessness in London, right? Uh, city in London, uh, area in London. And they were like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just give, they took 13 homeless guys and like all range of homeless guys, like drug addicted, whatever. They gave them money. No strings attached. They were like, boom, take this fucking money. It worked. It worked. It worked. They gave them money and counseling. These men are fine. Why do people in poverty make bad decisions? Like, what's the problem with the welfare state? Have you ever tried to file for unemployment? Have you ever tried? I hope not. I hope not. Although I imagine that a lot of us have because of COVID, right? I am a relatively smart person. I think you are too. Unemployment is the most ridiculous, fucking, demeaning process you will ever experience in your fucking life. And it's meant to be that way. Because apparently, to get help, you really don't deserve it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like they're trying to tell us right now with all these states cutting the unemployment benefits. You don't really, you don't really deserve that shit. Your lazy ass just needs to go get a fucking job. Never mind that you want a good job. Fuck all that. You just need to work. Poor people make poor decisions because they don't have the mental bandwidth to make good ones. A study was actually done on that. Think about you on your worst day, what you have the mental bandwidth to deal with. Now, I live a pretty fucking good life. I am grateful for it every fucking day. Like, we're okay down here. I know a lot of my friends also have, like, when you, like, sit back and think about it, like, your life is pretty fucking good. Like, you can't, you're not on the street. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's pretty fucking good. Think about what you have the mental bandwidth to deal with, even when you don't have to worry about when your next meal's coming from. How you gonna feed your kid? Oh shit, the car just broke down. I can't get to work. I don't have $100 for that. Just think about the mental bandwidth that you have to deal with the day-to-day problems in your own life. And now think about if you lived in poverty, like real fucking poverty, what you'd actually have the mental bandwidth to deal with. This, so many different studies were shown. Like sometimes those bad decisions are genes. And sometimes those bad decisions are people can only deal with so fucking much. Give them money. Fifty bases that have been deconditioned. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? So, the, and you know what? You know who's to blame for that? One of the reasons why the welfare state is so fucking demeaning right now. Bill Clinton. Thanks, Clinton. Thanks, fucking, forget fucking thanks, Obama. Thanks, Clinton. Right, imagine rehabilitating somebody instead of punishing. Never mind that I work two jobs in Las Vegas, but fuck me on unemployment. Right. They are absolutely designed to humiliate and dehumanize the fight. It's got to stop, y'all. It's just got to, it absolutely has to stop. We have to stop it. We have to stop it. So we have to stop being okay with the mediocrity that we see right now. We have to. 
Look, I know, I know that we had so much to do with like Trump and this, that, and the other, but we are spiraling so hard back into like, this is, this is what I, this is like my like fear that I need to fucking meditate on that. We are just, we're just spiraling backwards. It's like, we can't go forward because we can't imagine anything better than what we've got. And fuck that. Fuck that. And look, if you're not down with UBI, that's cool. Get out of the way. Just get out of the way. Because I am sick to fucking death of people who are like, it can't be done. Get the fuck out of the way. And let those of us who are trying to get it done, get it done. And you can say thank you later. Or you don't even have to say like, you know what? Don't even fucking talk to me. It's fine. Just get out of the fucking way. Any moral righteousness you feel like I've worked for X number of years and blah, 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 blah. So no way people should just be able to get free money. Is your own bullshit talking. I'm gonna just be real with you. You want some bullshit. You are on some not your fucking business bullshit. Right there. Right there. It's not your business what people do or don't do with your money. With their money. And your moral high ground is ultimately terrible for society. Ultimately is terrible. Whatever you think about UBI from that, you know, why should somebody else get it because I didn't, you need to go do some work on you if that's your viewpoint. That's literally your own anger at your situation in life. What you should be is happy that the conversation is starting because then maybe all those years you spent working, you can now get back the shit that you actually wanted to do. That's where your head needs to be. Not, nah, nah, fuck that. It's the same people who get mad about college loans being forgiven. Motherfucker, education should be free. We want people to be smarter than they are. And we want people who have those amazing ideas once they get out of school to be able to do what they want with them. Not to be forced into these jobs because we can't support them because we are stuck in this ridiculous system of fucking rich people Telling you that you have to work and die and slave away. And maybe when you turn 70, if you work 90 hours a week, you could maybe take a vacation. We're not on this planet that long, y'all. Maybe 80 years, 90 years. You know, most of us will probably just live the fucking 70. You know what I'm saying? We're not here that long. That's <laughs> The older you get, as I, the more you realize how fucking valuable your time is. How much of that are we wasting away in bullshit jobs? He's got a whole chapter and he's a little snobby about this. I'm not even gonna lie. Like, I don't necessarily agree with him on all the jobs that he calls bullshit. I think he needs to take into account the new era that we find ourselves in. So that was kind of like my only critique of his. But there are a lot of jobs that don't need to be there. And people know it. People know that. People know that they in some bullshit. That you work in a bullshit job that pays a whole lot of money for nothing. And the only reason you win it is because it pays that money. It doesn't make you happy. You don't want to fucking be there. That's 40 hours of your life. A week. You do that math? Oh, you have a panic attack. Give me socialist health care because I shouldn't be paying a health care professional's mortgage to not have a diagnosis after five years of fighting. Oh my fucking God. Oh my fucking God. Y'all, and we need this sooner than later. We absolutely need this sooner than later because machines are coming. Uh, not even, th they're here. AI is here. AI is here. 
And I do not believe that the way America is right now, if we allow it to continue this way, is responsible enough for AI to be the awesome thing that it should be. The great thinkers of the past thought that we would be working hand in hand with AI. Like seriously, I mean, just read this book just for the history lessons it gives you. They thought that we'd all be chilling, y'all. Like people, like motherfuckers back in the day have looked at us now, they'd be like, the fuck are y'all? They thought we would be chilling. They thought we would be chilling. The AI would be doing most of the work. That our biggest problem right now is that we are fucking bored. Fuck, I want to be bored. I can't wait to be bored. Who wants to be bored? Raise your hand. I mean... You bored? You need a bigger imagination. You bored? Come see me. I got a whole, I got 12 pages of the to-do list. Right. Bored on a boat. <laughs> it's a whole big planet I'd love to fucking see. Can't wait to be bored. Can't fucking wait. But AI is coming. AI is coming. And the way our capitalist society and the rich people want it, I mean, and I don't mean to diss all rich people. Now, nah, don't come at me with not all rich people. AIs will replace us. And the jobs that are left, we will continue to see our quality of life going down. And that's what we don't realize, too, is the quality of life in America is going down. It's not getting better, despite how amazing America is. And look, we've got it so much better than our ancestors and blah, 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 fucking blah, blah, blah. Quality of life in this country is going down. The middle class, and I'm not trying to fear monger, I'm just trying to be real with y'all. The middle class, it's going it's going. It's just going. There is a beautiful future ahead of us that is one where every family in America has been pulled out of poverty. All those empty houses that are just fucking sitting there doing nothing, and if you know how many empty houses there are in the United States and how many homeless people there are, your, your mind just fucking explodes because there's no reason for it at all. Oh, oh, it makes me so mad. But anyway, I have a beautiful vision of the future where I work hand in hand with AI. I got AI doing all kinds of shit that I don't want to fucking do. Love it. Be my social media manager. AI posting shit for me on social media. Great. Love it. Can't wait for it. Can't wait for it. Can't wait for every fucking family in America to be lifted out of poverty. So people get the health care that they need. If you sick, you just go to a doctor. Do y'all remember back in the day when your doctor actually came to your fucking house? That must be how old I am, but I remember that. My doctor came to my house. My fucking house. Y'all remember that shit? I got shots in my house. He just rolled up in the door and was like, what's up, Dr. Delaney? He like right to my fucking house. Y'all remember that when people like gave a shit? I want that. I want that. I want that type of future. I want people to be lazy as fuck. I want, you know what? I want people to work four fucking days a week, three days a week. I don't give a fuck. But those three days a week, they are making the things that they want. Our museums are overflowing with art. We got music. We got amazing fucking athletes. Shit, we all about to go hang out on Mars because these crazy little fucking kid over in Africa just invented a spaceship. Fuck Elon Musk that runs on like fucking, I don't know, corn stalks or some shit. And now we can all go to fucking space. Like that's what I fucking want because everybody has the means to do the things that they love. Why do we not live in that society? How can we proclaim to be the best, greatest, blah, blah, fucking blah nation on earth, but you got motherfuckers on GoFundMes to try to fund college, medical bills, fuck groceries. 
I can't. I can't. Right. Funerals. Funerals. Right. Play some D&D if you bored. I would also be settled for not being stressed about being able to... As, God, can you imagine? Like, just ponder the mental bandwidth that you would have. Your mental... Like, your mental health and your physical health that you would get back if the stress about paying bills wasn't there. I think one of the reasons so many of us can't envision a greater future is, is because we're stuck in the trenches. We're down in the shit. And I know how hard it is to envision something amazing when you are just in some shit. We have to. We have to. We have to be loud, obnoxious, unreasonable, and unrealistic, and we cannot wait for our politicians. Do not wait for your politicians. Get together with your communities, with your people, and build that shit yourself. Build it yourself. Because if we wait for Democrats, we will be waiting for fucking ever. Because they talk a good game, and that's all they fucking do. They just fucking talk. Bottom line, they ain't trying to upend the status quo either, because they got that money. It is real. It's just real. They got that moral high ground, you know, because they're not Republicans and they're not trying to take away like your abortion and they, you know, they down with trans people and shit like that. They don't give a fuck about you. They got money. They don't care. They don't care. They will say what they need to say to get reelected. They don't care. And, you know, they say all the right things. You know, go diversity. I am down with that 1,000%, bun. I am so fucking down with that. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I will share with you uh, last couple of passages um, from this book. Please, you guys, get read this book. It's such a wonderful history lesson. Utopia for realists. It'll just get you thinking. Um, and there's a great index in the back of everything that he quotes um, and talks about in all the different programs you can Google. I didn't believe the shit about Utah. I'm like, bullshit, there was a UBI program in Utah for that long. He lying. You know, people lie. There was. There was. You know, I'm like, bullshit, Richard Nixon actually tried to... He did. He did. Yeah. I do not have a dream job because I do not believe... <laughs> I... Where we... Hang on. There's another great quote in here about that. Hold up. I gotta find... I dog you so many pages. Don't yell at me. Don't. Don't yell at me. I did it. There was a lot of good stuff in here, okay? There was a lot. A lot. Of amazing things in here. Mm. So we have inspectors of inspectors and people making instruments for inspectors to inspect inspectors. The true business of people should be to go back to school and think about whatever it was they were thinking about before somebody came along and told them they had to earn a living. Richard Buckminster Fuller, 1895-1983. That hit me. That hit me deep in my feelings when I read that. I was like, damn. I was like, he hit me right. Don't yell at me, babe. Don't yell at me. But anyway... Let me read this last last passage here to, uh, huh. so uh, he talks a little bit about how, and he's been, I mean, this guy's been on like different shows and whatever and talking about his ideas openly. And he says, 
Calling my ideas unrealistic was simply a shorthand way of saying they didn't fit the status quo. And the best way to shut people up is to make them feel silly. It's even better than censorship because people are almost guaranteed to hold their tongues. Since the global financial crash of 2008 and the dawning era of Brexit and Trump, more and more people are hungry for a real radical antidote to both xenophobia and inequality, for a whole new map of the world, for a new source of hope, in short, for utopia. So in closing, I'd like to offer two final pieces of advice for everybody who is ready to put the ideas proposed in these pages into action. First, realize that there are more people out there like you. Lots and lots of people. I've met countless readers who told me that while they believe absolutely in the ideas from this book, they see the world as a corrupt and greedy place. My answer to them was this. Turn off the TV, look around you, and organize. Most people really do have their hearts in the right place. And second, my advice is to cultivate a thicker skin. Don't let anyone tell you what's what. If we want to change the world, we need to be unrealistic, unreasonable, and impossible. Remember, those who called for the abolition of slavery, for suffrage of women, and for same-sex marriages were also once branded lunatics, until history proved them right. I am the most unrealistic, unreasonable, impossible motherfucking person you will ever meet. Going to get a t-shirt that says it. We'll wear it all the time, just like my comfy Mandalorian pants. All the time. So, I hope this conversation was thought-provoking. I hope it riled you guys up a little bit. Uh, I hope you will make noise. I hope you will make noise in whatever way that makes sense to you. I wish that all these millionaires out there screaming about tax us, tax us, tax us would start their own program programs. Um, because I don't believe we can wait. I feel a sense of urgency to just get some shit done. Let's just fucking, let's just fucking get it done. Because I am not satisfied at all with the mediocrity that I see. Like this whole, let's just get back to normal and back to the status quo. I'm tired of hearing that. I'm over that. And I'm over for people telling us that it can't be done. I'm over it. I don't want to hear you anymore. Just don't, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. If we're not talking about ways that we can do it, I, I, La, 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 la. I don't, I don't need, I, I don't want to hear you. So, uh, I hope you, what's up, Edward? You're coming in right at the end of the show. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's talk. We have a absolutely amazing lineup for June. We will not be here the first week of June. So the first week of June, I'm taking that week off. And then the rest of June is absolutely jam-packed. I'm so excited. We will be talking to Whitney Hill again about writing. She is a best-selling author. I had her on before. She was talking about astrology and witchcraft. Now we're going to talk all about writing and creativity and indie publishing. So if you are a writer, you want to learn some stuff for a best-selling indie publishing author, that's going to be the show for you. We're going to talk about the paranormal. A very good friend of mine is a ghost hunter in Western Australia. We're going to talk about some crazy shit that he's done and paranormal experiences. And if you want to be a ghost hunter yourself, what you can do, I'm going to be a little scared for that episode. Uh, that episode I have to pre-record because he is in West Australia and the time zones just don't match up. So the episode will play Tuesday as usual, but it will be recorded and we'll just hang out while the episode plays. There's no way around that one because it's 7 a.m. for like me, which is like 7 p.m. for him. So that one just has to be pre-recorded. Um, after that, uh, I have uh, a gentleman coming on who is going to talk to us about crop circles and UAPs, a.k.a. UFOs. 
Very excited to talk about him. I've been dying to get somebody who could speak intelligently about crop circles and the phenomenon and what they may be. And there is some amazing news about UFOs and UAPs coming out right now. That's just, shit's crazy right now. It's amazing. So he's going to speak about that. Um, and then I also have a gentleman coming on towards the end of June that is going to speak about witchcraft. Uh, he is a male practitioner. I've had him on before. I have one of his books. What's his book? He wrote this big ass motherfucker, Ascension Magic. And he's written so many other books about witchcraft. Um, he's a great guy to talk to really grounded in his practice. So I'm very excited about that. So that's everything we've got lined up for June. That's it. The month of June is just like, we just like back to back to back to back. I love it. But like I said, June 1st, we're taking a break. And then after that, boom, 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 boom. So go to chrisimagination.com backslash talk show to get archives, past shows, stuff, things, this, that, and the other. If you're listening on YouTube or a podcast service of your choice, please like, subscribe, comment, share with your friends. Be loud. Do not accept this mediocrity. UBI is the way of the future. Just accept it. Just accept it. Just, just accept it. Just, just give people free money and stop being a bitch about it. That's all I'm going to say. All right, I'm out. Goodbye, y'all. Well, hey, Crystal here. I wanted to thank you personally for joining us for this episode of Crystal's Imagination of the Talk Show. I hope you'll take a quick second to drop us a like, subscribe, leave a comment, and or a review. I would love to hear your feedback. If you have a guest suggestion, drop me a line at talkshow at crystalsimagination.com or you can just send me a note and we can be email buddies. Want more podcasts? You can also check out the serialized fiction podcast of the same name, Crystal's Imagination. You'll find it on my YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out all the information down in the description. Till next time. <laughs>